Does Templeton Marsh, Canada's top auto dealership buy-sell firm, have a crystal ball? No, nobody has one. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the February 23rd, 2024 episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. I'm your host, Greg Layson, the digital and mobile editor at Automotive News Canada. My guest this week sat down with me for a fireside chat at the Automotive News Canada Congress in Toronto. We have complete coverage of that event on our website. Today, my guest will talk about the complexities of a changing auto industry, electrification, the ZEV mandate, the luxury market, and the experiential aspect of selling cars. All that and more when we hear from Porsche Cars of Canada CEO John Capella on this episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. How was the luxury market in Canada last year and how are we one month and a little bit into the new year? Uh, well, first, thanks for having me. It's Absolutely. great to be here. It's uh, it's great to uh, spend some time with everybody and be in person and, and celebrate automotive again here at the Canadian International Auto Show. Uh, with regards to luxury, um, well, the, the market was up about 14%. We were up 16%. Uh, so it's performing very well. I would say things were different at the end of the year last year versus the beginning of the year. Uh, supply is certainly now kind of been addressed. So there's more supply, I think, across almost all OEMs. And uh, I guess with that has come, uh, I guess, incentives again. So it didn't take long. I think everybody was wishing that they didn't come back, but uh, it, didn't, it didn't take long. I think in the last six months, we really saw an acceleration in, uh, in, in incentives. Um, you know, other factors, I think we're also starting to see the impacts of the luxury tax. Yep. Um, you know, at first, of course, there was this, you know, I guess, period where the, the, the deals that were done before it was implemented were kind of being delivered. But now, you know, people are starting to look at that and saying, hey, that's a pretty big bill, especially in Vancouver. We have two of them. Incentives because of rising interest rates, because of uh, slowing demand. What's the reason behind more incentives? Do you think? It's su- supply and demand. I think okay. as the supply came up, you know, you know, back when things were a little tighter because of uh, semiconductors and all of that, uh, there was no need essentially because there were there was there was more much more demand than anybody had supply. And now that the supply is there, that those races are now starting to, to kind of come into play again. And uh, and as a result, you're seeing those incentives come back. Did we see a normalization after COVID last year? We ran a story recently where we've had some folks say you can't compare anything to pre-COVID anymore. 2023 is sort of the new normal. Do you agree with that statement? Is that sort of where we're at now? Things are are evolving so quickly. I, I think you can't even compare it to last month now because it's it's really evolving. So yeah, 2019 is is a long ways away. And uh, just think of the, the, all the different cars that are now in the market that weren't even around back then. Yeah. And of course, the other topic that was discussed earlier with regards to electrification. I mean, there's so many factors that are different. So uh, absolutely. Is it making things more challenging or do you feel like you're back to normal? What's normal? I mean, it's, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't call it normal. It's, uh, it's evolving. It, the, the industry is evolving. It's been said before many times much faster than ever before. There are factors that I know in my career I've never had to deal with. Such as? When you take, well, when you take a, a, a segment and, you know, 20 years ago you had one car that you were offering, maybe a few different engine variants, but now you have the one car and you have the ICE version, the hybrid version and battery electric version, and you're having to factor these things in in what you're going to sell a year, two, even five years from now. That's a lot more complex. 
Is it more expensive? Does it cost the company more when you're selling an ICE, a hybrid, an electric version, uh, you know, two-door, four-door, all kinds of variants now? It was, it was said before that every manufacturer that's having to develop all three of those is having to invest a lot more. So it is a lot more expensive from that respect because they're, they're different technologies. The team that's over here working on the internal combustion engine is not necessarily the team that's working over sure. here on the battery electric cars. But for brands like us and a lot of the brands in the room, we, we're not going to abandon the internal combustion engine overnight. And we have demand still for those vehicles. So as a result, we're continuing to develop those vehicles as well. You Especially for a brand like us. Yeah, and you mentioned that your sales were up again, and they continue to be up for Porsche. Um, what are you guys doing right? What is the secret to success in Canada? There's a number of factors. I think we're very fortunate at Porsche to have an extremely strong product portfolio that continues to evolve and develop. This year alone, we're launching four new vehicles. We've actually never done that before. So we have four very different vehicles that we're launching. Uh, we actually have a few of them here at the auto show. We just actually just launched this morning the, uh, the new version of our Taycan electric car. Uh, Taycan Turbo, 938 horsepower, zero to 100 in 2.4 seconds. Never dreamed a car like that would even exist. Um, but here we are. And that's just one car that we've yep. launched, new Panamera. Um, two weeks ago, we launched or we announced that we will be bringing the electric Macan to market, um, which is a big thing for us. I mean, the Macan is our volume vehicle. That's our, our, our lead vehicle in terms of volume. And we're moving that into the electric arena now. And I wanted to talk about those, but since you brought them up, let's just stay there right now. Um, the Taycan charges in 18 minutes, I think it is, um, to 80%. Um, I think that's about half of what it used to be. How important are those charge times and that efficiency in terms of sales and, and adoption and get people to buy an EV? It's very important. Uh, it was interesting to hear the panel uh, before with regards to EV adoption. Those are the, the considerations. Charge time, range, um, speed is, is there. I mean, electric car inherently is faster, yep. right? Uh, but the range and the charge time are two very important factors with regards to what customers are looking for. So the vehicle that we have upstairs now is a significant improvement in those regards. Uh, in you know real-world testing with journalists, we're getting 555 kilometers, for example, in terms of range, going in speeds of 120 kilometers. That's going to be an important statistic for customers moving forward. And today, it's actually not moving forward, already today. One of our writers in Detroit at Automotive News said that the new Taycan is, is more Porsche-like. Do you agree yeah. with that assessment? Every car that we come out is a little bit, you know, it's a little bit better. But the, the charging as well that you mentioned to me now, 320 kilowatts, uh, it's fast. When you plug that thing in at a supercharger, I mean, this, you just see that level go up so quickly. It's pretty amazing. Education is important as well. You know, you see some people sitting at these superchargers trying to get to 100%. You're not supposed to do that. Right. You know, it, that, that last 20% takes a lot longer. It's actually extending your, your trip, and it's actually not good for the battery. Education is a big, big element here as part of this transition. Didn't mean to ask you this earlier, but since you brought up education, it is the federal government, are the automakers, is everyone doing enough to educate the general public on electric vehicles? And... Not the problems, but things like you just mentioned, that the last 20%, you're not supposed to get there anyway. These are things that maybe the general consumer doesn't know going in to buy an EV. 
we're we're far from being done with that. Yeah. There's there's still a long way to go. You know, every new technology has a an adoption curve. This has been a hundred year phenomenon where you first have about a two percent that are the the innovators that want this new technology, even if it's flawed. They just they just want this new thing. Of course, we're long past that. Then you have the early adopters, which was mentioned also in the panel. And then the question was, are we out of early adopters? Well, that's typically about 13, 14%, which is more or less where we are right now. The next phase are the early majority. And that group of people, which are coming, it just takes a little bit longer because that group are asking more questions. They want to see the proof of concept, but those people will adopt. It's happened with every technology that has been launched in the last hundred years. I bet when you know people were riding around on horses, they were probably talking like, why would I buy a car? Where am I going to fill it up with gas? It's not as fast as the horse. I can rely on my horse. It's probably the same discussion that was happening over 100 years ago. I wouldn't doubt that. That's a great analogy that I've never heard. And I just made it up. I like it. I like it. We're don't, gonna, don't Grace is taking notes. She's going to put it in her story. Um, talk about the Macan. Um, volume seller you mentioned, how important is it to electrify that? I feel like if an automaker can electrify its highest volume vehicle, that's probably pretty good success. I, we think so. I yeah. guess we'll, we'll, you'll ask me in four years. Um, <laughs> but we're, we're, you know, we're, we're being careful with it. We're going to run both. We're going to run that model, the ICE version and the fully electric version at the same time. And so really what we're doing now is trying to get that, that ratio right. The ratio right for 2024, for 2025, 2026. And it's a lot of work. There's a lot of inputs that come into that. Um, but it's it's an incredible vehicle. I've had the opportunity to drive it on a track. Um, and, you know, when it comes to range, speed, handling, everything about it is just miles ahead. So it's a really important vehicle for us. How important is it to make it feel and seem like the internal combustion engine? Or is the buyer of that next Macan EV, somebody who's completely different and not moving from an ICE version to an EV version? I think it's both. We're, we're seeing both. We're, we're seeing those that are adopting uh, from an ICE to an electric vehicle. And then there's the new generation, which is something we don't talk enough about. If you look at, if you were to go into a high school today, all of those students at the school grew up plugging in a phone. That was around the time, you know, around the time the smartphone was, was, you know, first iPhone and all that. Those people are in high school right now. They've been plugging in a phone every single night. So switching to plugging car is not a big deal. For a lot of, like for me, I've been pumping gas all the time. So we're trying to switch people my age, let's say, to go from pumping gas to plugging in a car when that next generation, it just makes sense for them. So and is it easier to reach that generation, those younger that, ones? That young, that's the, that's that, the thinking from that generation is what we really need to be watching as automotive manufacturers is what are those people going to buy? I know it's going to be difficult right now to convince people that just love, you know, and like myself, love, you know, a, an internal combustion engine vehicle, but we have to watch that next generation that's coming up. They think a little bit differently because they grew up a little bit differently. You'll be happy to know my daughter put a pink Porsche on her vision board for a That's project great. in high school. We like that. Okay, like so that. you've got her, so she, she might be Excellent. one. Excellent. Um, is affordability an issue moving forward, though, when we get into these EVs? Because they do cost more up front. And I know we've talked about it on panels previous to this, but is affordability an issue? How do you tackle it if it is? I, I think that was a good discussion in the previous panel. Uh, there's a lot of different factors there. Uh, yes, the cars are, you know, like for like a little bit more expensive. 
Um, but there are other factors like the cost of, again, it was discussed already, the cost of filling up your tank versus a few bucks to charge your battery. Um, then there's the cost of charging. I personally think that the, the policymakers can, can really assist. I think the policies right now, which was also discussed, they tend to be focused more on the supply side as there's a view that the manufacturers are not bringing enough EVs to market when in actual reality, there's a lot of EVs mm -hmm. in the market today. I think at last count, there's about 50 different models and there's a lot more coming. The investments have been made, the cars are coming. I think the policy should be more focused on the demand side and making the consumer more comfortable, whether it be education or also mentioned earlier, home charging. There's this, it, it, it drives me nuts when you see an article that says there needs to be enough there needs to be as many charging stations as gas stations. That is not required. Right. What we need is to have more home chargers, which, by the way, is possible in condos. It was discussed that it wasn't. I live in a condo, and I would say about 40% of the spots in that condo have charging stations. And as I did some research, and again, this is where the education comes in, um, I was talking to an electrician and I had him assess the building, and he said to me, why is everybody on 40-amp chargers? You're, you're sleeping at night, you're charging for eight hours, 10 hours, let's say you're at home. You can put everybody here on 20 amps and double the number of chargers in your condo. So you can almost get 100% chargers in that condo. And if the government, the policymakers were helping the consumer in terms of those costs for installing it, that would really bring that adoption curve much higher. Because if you're driving, I mean, you think of, let's say the car that we have at five, over 500 kilometers, how many people are really driving over 500 kilometers a day. And, and that's a question I ask often because we've heard plug and drive here in Toronto say, you know, I think the average commute is 80 kilometers a day. So does range really matter if you're only driving 80 kilometers a day? It, it depends on your use case, right? It's the reason why somebody buys a sports car and another person buys a van. It depends on what you're using the vehicle for. There are some people that do do a lot of kilometers and maybe the technology is not there for them just yet. But there are a lot of people that are driving to work, taking the kids to school, going shopping, and 500 is fine. And honestly, even with a little bit of less range in the winter, again, that's a personal choice. Because I much prefer plugging in my car at work or at home and not having to stand outside in the cold pumping gas. I'll take a little bit of less range for that. I want to ask about the infrastructure. And I ask this to all the, the automaker CEOs that I whose responsibility is it for the charging infrastructure? You have a federal government that's saying, we're going to mandate electric vehicles, but it's the automakers who make the electric vehicles and it's a public utility. Who's responsible for getting us enough charging infrastructure, do you think? That's, that's a big question. I mean, this, there needs to be an entrepreneurial spirit. In any, in any technology or business, there's the entrepreneurial spirit that drives the innovation, that drives these services, quite frankly. And so there has to be a business case there. And again, I go back to the home charging. If, if not, nobody has a gas station at their house, if you had more home charging, then there would be not as much need for public charging. And there are other programs. So, you know, I, I remember renovating when I had a house, renovating the house. And if you put in the right, you know, windows and the, the insulation and all that, the government would give you an incentive sure. to make your home more green. Why not do the same thing with home charging. Imagine if we set a goal to say, hey, by this year, we want X number of homes and condos to have charging stations. Just think of what that would do to the adoption curve.
And even people, for example, that maybe they buy a condo that has a charging station, they never would have thought of buying an electric car, and then they buy a condo that already has the charging station, maybe they'll consider that now. One less barrier removed. Exactly, exactly. We'll be right back after this short break. Our competitors will pretend they have a crystal ball. We don't pretend or actually have one. However, the partners that make up the Templeton Marsh team collectively have over 240 years of experience in the retail, wholesale, marketing, and financing side of the Canadian auto business. And buying, selling auto dealerships is all we do. We do not expend time, effort, or energy on peripheral businesses. Between us, we have looked at nearly 200 transactions, successfully batting at nearly a thousand percent, closing mandates, and getting more repeat business than our competitors. From whom do we get repeat business and how? We get repeat business because we have the strongest word of mouth presence in the industry. And once we deal with a buyer, they become our friends and clients for life. Additionally, we provide personalized hands-on service and attention to details from the very first cup of coffee or dinner to the post-closing dynamic. We are there for our clients every step of the way. Our partners are absolutely at the top of their respective fields and our clients notice this fact. What sets us apart? We start by building relationships and delivering results based on integrity, discretion, our knowledge of the business and the market, and by far the best network of contacts in Canada. Our clients rely on us to be honest and candid, provide them with accurate information based on thorough analysis of their needs and the market. We don't share with our clients what they wanna hear, rather what they need to hear. And this honesty, combined with the fact that we do not compromise our principles to secure a mandate, is what actually gets us a mandate. To connect with us, please visit our website at templetonmarsh.com or call us at 416-880-8989. Welcome back to the podcast where we're hearing from Porsche Cars of Canada CEO, John Capella. I want to shift gears to to sort of selling the vehicles. We're at CIAS. It's a very experiential show. There's lots to do here. There's Camp Jeep, EV test tracks, inside and out. There's Legos for the kids. You name it. This is a very unique auto show. Porsche has something unique in Toronto in that it has the experience center. Tell me about that and why it's important for Porsche. Yeah, this is this is a really a, an exciting year for Porsche. Uh, we will open up the Porsche Experience Center Toronto uh, in the Durham Live concept, which is located in Pickering. Um, it'll be the 10th Experience Center in the world. Uh, our brand is, is a, you know, it's a brand you have to experience. You have to get behind the wheel, drive in a spirited way, you know, from a, from a Macan electric to a GT3, you know, there will be options for everybody to experience our cars. And why it's also important for us is it's not just for owners and you can take delivery of your new car there, but there's also a lot of people that it's just, it's, it's their dream to drive a Porsche. And now there's going to be an opportunity to spend 90 minutes in their dream car, which nobody else is, is offering, which we love. We love that idea of sharing that. And uh, we're selling them. We're celebrating that here at the show. We've built a, a one of one GT3 RS with a, a really cool Canadian livery on it that actually matches the proportions of the Canadian flag. And uh, we're going to actually auction that car off after we 
we did for charity, auctioned that car after we opened the, uh, the PC. What's the response been to those other experience centers? I think there's one in Atlanta. One in Atlanta, mistaken. one in LA. We have them in Italy, China, I mean, all over the world. They're, it, it, we keep building them because <laughs> they're, they're extremely popular. Uh, usually by the day we open it, it's, it's too small <laughs> because the demand is so great. Because again, the, the, the demand is opened up to everybody. It's, you can take delivery of your vehicle there. We actually will, we will offer at a certain point that when you order a Porsche, you will actually get an experience as part of your purchase as well. Because again, we're an experiential brand. So um, the, the response has been amazing throughout the world. And we are very, very fortunate to be building one here in Canada. It shows the investment that is, and how important the brand is for, uh, for Canada. Do you foresee the competition doing the same thing or similar things around the world or in North America? I, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not seeing. It's I not, haven't seen it's, another it's, one. It's, it's kind of hard. I can tell you it's kind of hard to build a track in Toronto. I bet. I mean, you, you, <laughs> it, it's, we're really fortunate to, uh, to get that allowed is not easy. So um, I'm just happy we're going to have one. Do you get a lot of converts? Do people come in that are sort of looking for a luxury vehicle and that is the the decision maker? Like if someone in Atlanta is considering a Porsche and something else and they get a chance to go to that track, is that sort of the, the deal breaker? A lot, I mean, a lot of times you get behind the wheel and the, the excitement and the big smile that you get when you come out of that car. I, I've seen it even here when we've had track events uh, where people were not necessarily in the market for one of our cars and they get that experience. I call it, it's not just kilometers per hour, but it's miles per hour. They just come up with big smiles <laughs> and it really, uh, it really, it really helps. Electrification, can you elaborate a little bit more on Porsche's plan? Not just this year. I know you talked about the Ford vehicles being launched this year. What is Porsche's plan in an electric future? Uh, there's a few pillars there, actually. Um, the first is we've made it very clear that by 2030, we are really going towards 80% of our model line being electric. And we have the product portfolio in the pipeline to, to do that. And I've seen a lot of those cars, and they're some of the most exciting and emotional cars that I've, I've seen and, and driven, quite frankly. Um, so we have that as one pillar. Again, with that said, there's a transition we're 2024, that's six years from now, that's, that's a lot of time. And there's a lot of customers that are still very passionate about their internal combustion engine vehicle or a hybrid. For example, in the Panamera, the hybrid technology is really something that is quite popular. And the new Panamera that we just launched, we're gonna have four different types of hybrids coming out just for that particular vehicle. So that's another important pillar. Another one that I often get asked about and we're actually showcasing here at the show. Uh, we have a, a, a record, uh, a car that achieved the highest altitude ever driven by a vehicle. It's codenamed Edith. It's actually a, a 911 4S that has been modified. You'll see it at the display. With, you know, it's kind of in the middle in this rocky display. And it's great that it, it, it kind of broke that record. So that, that's cool in itself. But what's even cooler is it did it on e-fuels. And that's another pillar of our strategy. What, what e-fuels is, is essentially we take water and carbon dioxide and we, come, and we essentially make a fuel using renewable energy and you essentially put it in that vehicle with no modifications to the vehicle. It's a stock 4S engine with a stock transmission. The output is the same amount of carbon as the input 
that was used to actually make that fuel. So it is a completely carbon neutral fuel. And what that is designed to do, of course, is another pillar to help power sports cars for the, from the past. You, yep. can, you can put that in a 1970s 9-11, or, and you can put that in a future 9-11 as well. The 9-11 is the car that, given the, just the root, root of it being that the engine is behind the rear wheels, is something that is, is kind of hard to fully electrify. That's yep. the one that we would love to keep building as an internal combustion engine for as long as as we can, quite frankly. And that's the way to do it with the e-fuel? That could be, that could be. But again, you need a little bit of flexibility with regards to regulations. Again, it was talked a little bit earlier. If the expectation is just one technology, um, that might not be the answer. And is that a problem that the government has said it's this one technology? I mean, we saw Toyota earlier sort of, they have an EV, but they don't have a lot of EVs and they're, they're doing hybrids and other things. Is it wrong for a government to mandate one type of technology? How does that hinder the automaker? Well, if, if, if an automaker develops something new that's different, that's not in that bucket based on that policy, then, but it still achieves the same thing, mm -hmm. then what's the problem? No, that's, that's, but we're, 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 as I said, you know, we're moving towards all electric, um, or at least 80% electric by 2030. So that's not necessarily an issue for us, but for the e-fuels, it's a great technology for sports cars of the future and, but the past as well. There's a lot of these cars that are still going to be here for many, many, many decades to come. And it would be a, a great way to keep driving them 30, 40, 50 years from now. We heard JD from JD Power earlier talk about EV demand. Is it waning? Is it the same? What do you see from where you sit? Is there demand still for electric vehicles or is that demand tailing off? It, it, it really, I think it was mentioned as well. It depends on the segment. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the challenges that we have is putting the right EV in the right segment. And just if you start with the segments, there are some segments that maybe are, are better as an early adopter segment for an EV than some other segments. And that comes down to the demographics of the buyer within that segment. I won't go into examples, but there, there are some. And I think if you look at some of the cars that might be struggling, it could be that they're, they're in segments that buyers are typically not necessarily looking for a new technology. So you, you really have to, and that's where the challenge is, is you have to get the right segments. We think, for example, with the Macan Electric, that is a young dynamic segment that's growing for example, I mean, if you look at the overall industry, trucks, SUVs were up 14%, cars were down 2%. Mm -hmm. So bringing in a small luxury SUV in a, in, that is electric is from my perspective, a pretty good, pretty good bet because it's a growing segment. How does the federal government ZEV mandate affect Porsche? Well, as I mentioned, I mean, if, if our goal is to be at uh, 80% in 2030, then it's, it's, it's not necessarily a concern for us. And even if I look at the individual years, if we're launching our most, our highest volume model uh, next year, or this year, I should say, and then really ramping up volume next year, the percentages don't necessarily uh, play a big issue for us. But with that said, I think the policies can do more in terms of helping the supply side and helping Canadians with the cost of chargers, for example. I think would be be would be, it would be better suited to focus on those elements, quite frankly. I wanted to ask you about that. Is there enough in that mandate when it comes to infrastructure, 
the grid, everything else that goes along with owning an EV? Well, there, there is an incentive there for manufacturers to, that kind of gets to the other question, for manufacturers to invest in installing superchargers. Mm -hmm. And then you get, a, you, know, you get credits if you spend the money. So essentially trying to push the manufacturers to spend more money on building the charging stations. Again, I think we, we should focus more on the consumer. Do you feel like the government's making the automaker build the infrastructure so that it doesn't have to? That, that's how I read that mandate when it came out. It was almost like, let's put the responsibility back on the automakers. If they're not going to sell them, they'll have to build infrastructure for someone else to use them. Yeah, I, again, I think it, there needs to be a better understanding of how EVs are used. And, and that you don't need as many superchargers necessarily, in my opinion, mm -hmm. as you do gas stations, for example. Sure. And that if we work on home charging, then that really gets us much further. And if, if the policies supported that, and again, the thing with condos was mentioned before, requiring that plumbing be put in, piping be putting in beforehand, so it makes it less expensive for when somebody then wants to install. I mean, these are all easy, smart things that can be done to help Canadians adopt EVs. You mentioned the gas stations, and I, I think it's, well, you mentioned it, you grew up pumping gas, so did I. We yeah. see gas stations on every corner. There's this belief that we need chargers on every corner because we see gas stations on every corner. How do we go about educating EV buyers or potential EV buyers that those don't need to be on every corner? Doing things like this, uh, sure. talking to our customers. We, we put our dealers through extensive training programs to get them to get the message out. Uh, it's, it's everything. We have to just keep talking about it because it's, it's so different that um, it's, it's not something that we're in the automotive industry, so we get it, we, we will understand it, but to the common person outside the industry, it's, it won't be recognized. I feel like you're looking over my shoulder at my next no, question. No, I'm not, I'm not actually. No. <laughs> I was gonna ask how this, like what, what role does the dealer play in this or what, how are EVs and ZEVs affecting the dealership? What are you asking them to do? What do they need to do? Dealer is, is central to all of this. Um, you know, we have a, a great relationship with our, our dealers. They are the face of the customer. They, that's when the customer walks into and, and wants to see a Porsche and visit a Porsche, visit the Porsche brand, they're going to see our, our dealers that are representing sure. the brands and they've done an exceptional job in investing in the brand, investing in new people, investing in new job roles. Years ago, we didn't have a job role called uh, Porsche Pro, for example, and now we do because of the differences in the technology and various other job roles. So they've done a lot of investing. They've had to invest in training for the, the repair and maintenance of an electric vehicle. They've also had to invest in facilities that are a little bit different. You need special rooms and things mm -hmm. like that. So they're central to this whole transition. Are they on board? Do they tell you we're on board with this? They're, they're on board to ensure that they're successful for the future. So we're working on it together to make sure that we're finding the right balance of what, you know, what percentage is it gonna be this year versus next year. So they are on board and we work together to make sure that we're going in the right direction. Question from the audience, has the luxury tax significantly impacted your business or has it put a damper on bringing in step-up clients or conquests? And I did wanna talk about conquests, so this is a good way into it. Yeah, the luxury tax is, um, I mean, no one likes tax. <laughs> I mean, it's, and, and to have two of them, for example, in Vancouver, and, yeah. you know, by, by, by nature, the, the more expensive the car is, the more tax you pay. It's a percentage. Sure. And, and then adding another one is, obviously, I would say, is it's not fair. But, 
has it put a damper? I mean, for our business last year, we exceeded our internal expectation. So we we did we we, were, we ended up exactly actually we ended up further ahead than where we wanted to. Um, in talking to our dealers, particularly in certain parts of the country, yeah, it is it is infecting business, and and sometimes it's not necessarily even uh, the money. It's it's some for some people it could be the principal. So it's something we have to watch. Uh, other people say that it starts to get normalized. Personally, I think that as another step in this EV transition would be to not have it, for example, on EVs. That would be my, at the very least, let's not have it on the, the battery electric vehicles. And that gives people in those segments a reason to kind of go, let me try the BEV versus the ICE. Sure. And that could be another thing that accelerates battery electric vehicles as well. How do you go about making conquests or how do you get someone to step up into the Porsche brand? What's the trick? New product, quite frankly. Really? That's, that's really the driver is, is new product and our dealers. I mean, that's, those are the two elements. Uh, you have to have new, you have to have something new to talk about, something exciting. If you look at our growth trajectory, the step ups have always been when we launched new vehicles. When we launched the Macan, that was a significant step up, of course. But the Panamera before that, Taycan, another step up. So new products has really been a big factor in our, in our growth and has brought new people into our brand. And now when we go electric, uh, we're getting both. We're getting the people that are just dead set that they want an ICE vehicle. And then there are people that want an alternative to a battery electric vehicle that is the sports car in the segment, which is what we would offer. And that's what was going to be my next question. Does that include a new EV, even though you have an ICE model? Does that, that new EV account I, for some step-ups? I, I, absolutely. I was speaking to one of our customers uh, uh, last night who drives a Taycan Turbo S day-to-day, but has a you know, nice collection of ICE vehicles. Who loves driving those vehicles, but day-to-day that Taycan is is the car that he swears by. How do you go about getting the younger consumer? We talked about it a little bit. Are, are they, is that all they want is an electric vehicle? Um, the younger or the youth? I mean, I know that a 20 year old probably doesn't have the money for a Porsche yet, but you're still trying to entice youth so that you still have some customers coming up through the pipeline, don't you? We, we do have customers that are 20 years old, um, but <laughs> I, 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 I do think that the electrification is going to be critical on mass. Okay. I, I, I personally believe that that younger generation is really going to be looking for an electric vehicle and we want to be able to provide the sportiest electric vehicle in every segment that we are in. The last time you were on the podcast, we talked sort of about that sustainability, being green, a good corporate citizen. How much does that matter in selling cars? It, 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 well, it matters uh, more in different countries around the world. Certainly in Europe, it's, a really, it's, it's much more of a factor today than it is necessarily here in Canada. Again, I do think that if you talk to young people right now, it is top of mind for them. Even the people that work for us, the, 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 the employees in their 20s, they'll come and ask me, you know, what are we doing from a sustainability standpoint? Really? Absolutely. And, and they are all in of... You know, if we want to do an initiative with regards to sustainability, they're the first to put their hands up and they're, it, 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 because it's, it's their world that they're inheriting. That's a good point. What is your biggest challenge at Porsche Canada 
uh, moving forward in this this new year, 2024? The biggest challenge right now is, and it's, it's, a, it's a positive challenge, we've never launched this many new cars in one year before. And so there, there is, you know, there's only so many resources, there's only so much time. You want, everyone has to be special. Um, so managing that right now is, uh, is, is something we're, we're spending a lot of time on to make sure we get right and that every one of those launches is special. What's the cadence for those launches? I, I'm assuming you're not going to launch four all on the same day. What, what are we no, looking No, no. Well, so we, we, we launched the Panamera, which is here. We have the North mm -hmm. American debut of that vehicle. Uh, that'll arrive in March. And then the Taycan that we launched here, the global premiere, uh, that arrives in June. The Macan Electric launches in the second half. We've not said the, the exact month at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's another launch that we haven't talked about yet. And then there's a few different other surprises along the way as well. You mentioned the cars that are here, the vehicles that are here. Auto show still important to Porsche? That's, that's a question I've been asked a couple of times uh, over the last couple of days. I believe that an auto show is where people that are, in, that are enthusiastic about automotive come to celebrate their passion. And we have a lot to celebrate. And I, there's hundreds of thousands of people that are come through an auto show. We're a brand that we, we don't want to be sort of often just sort of one corner that uh, only a certain group of people can see. We want to be a brand for everybody to at least enjoy and see and so for me when i came here last year and i saw all the families coming through and the kids kind of pointing at some of the classic cars we had oh, this is great this is great so, so more I, of a celebration than uh, an, um, a sales opportunity i view it as a celebration i i'm none of the vehicles up half the vehicles up there are either prototypes or right. or cars that are sort of coming into the future i'm not measuring the success based on on leads or sales i we are here to share the fascination and the celebration of what our brand is with as many people as possible. And I hope, uh, I hope many hundreds of people come. I have a feeling your answer might be the same as a previous answer, but what excites you most about 2024? Is all it of those, that. All, all of those all four of that, vehicles? The, the four vehicles and the Experience Center. I mean, that is, that is really, really big for Canada, really big for Porsche. It's a game changer for us. Not only for our customers, even internally, we can now start to hold training events there. Sure. Whenever we launch a car, we can bring all of our employees there to celebrate that car as well. It's a place where just, we're going to celebrate our brand, and that's, that's what we're excited about. I'd like to thank John for participating in our Automotive News Canada Congress. Again, complete coverage of the event is on our website. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, have a suggestion, or simply want to comment, email me at glayson at autonews.com. And remember, you can listen to all our previous podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play, or on our website, automotivenews.ca. Just click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. That does it for this episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. So long, everybody.